Foundation, where we get to hear stories and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. Not only will you get insights into some fascinating innovations, but you may also even relate to their stories, especially if you're a little unconventional or non-conforming. As with all science and technology, what these women do for a living has a real impact on all of our lives, and we don't often realise it. But here on Innovation, I'm also giving women a platform for them to be heard and for us to be inspired and uplifted by what they've learned along their life's journeys, both personally and professionally. So this week, I talked to Katria Sabin, a development engineer. She's working at the UK AEA, which is the UK's Atomic Energy Agency. Hi, my name is Katria Sabin. I work for the UK Atomic Energy Authority. I specialize in nuclear fusion and putting fusion energy on the grid. My official title is Development Engineer, and I work on one of the two fusion experiments we have at, uh, at Cullum site called the Joint European Taurus. Wow, that's some description, I must say, and we'll, we'll definitely get into that. But before we start, I want to sort of um, point out that you're on a boat, on a houseboat. I'm on a houseboat. Yes, I'm on a houseboat in the middle of a red warning storm. So apologies for the, well, the drama that's going on around me. I must say that it's not really apparent that you're in the middle of a storm. Um, it looks and sounds quite peaceful uh, from where I am. Um, but I hope we managed to uh, get this conversation in because um, it's quite a serious weather warning going on at the moment in the UK. So, Yes, it is. And I had to spend a few hours and use some engineering skills to secure my boat down. So the reason why it seems so chill now is because I've sort of made all the vectors right to keep it nice and uh, tight. Oh, wow. So engineering doesn't just help with nuclear fusion, but um, in just surviving the, yeah. <laughs> the extreme weather we seem to be experiencing thanks to climate change. Yeah, the weather is only going to get more extreme. And uh, one of the benefits of being off grid is that, well, I'm not exactly tied to energy prices and gas prices like we're seeing now, so. Well, that's actually like super interesting because you got into uh, sort of energy engineering because of your views on climate change and your uh, sort of, your concerns for the environment. So tell me about that. Yes, um, environmentalism is something that's on my mind frequently. And uh, I do get involved in activism as well and have done well before the pandemic and things start to get a bit more slowed down. Um, but I mean, right now I use energy from the sun. I use uh, solar panels most of the time. But of course, that works on a smaller scale. That works for me. That works for people living off grid. But to keep up with technological change and increase in demand, we're going to have to find other solutions. We need things to also accommodate to our existing grid as well. And I'm afraid renewables aren't really going to solve that problem for us unless we start investing in massive capacitors and batteries, but that's a whole engineering challenge in itself. So nuclear fusion, that really caught my attention when I was in school. I was a uh, into nuclear energy anyway. I knew the controversies around it, especially within the green community. But fusion was this sort of um, mysterious 
dark horse of of um, energy solutions. And I thought, oh, what is this? And I should add that I was really into physics and particle physics anyway. But I thought, well, what is this? And why, you know, this this energy source that people are talking about in such small circles, how can we bring it to the front? How can I find out more? So um, yeah, fusion really caught my attention and I decided to pursue it. And many people within my community feel the same way. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, many people in, the, in my community feel the same way. Uh, they feel like fusion is going to be the energy source of the future and will meet our demands whilst providing something clean. So you've got into nuclear fusion energy uh, via an apprenticeship, right? Yes, that's correct. I uh, did an apprenticeship. Uh, nobody in my family has gone to university before, so I didn't really understand the roots so well. And uh, in my home, it was more, you know, leave, leave home and work and provide and, uh, and sort yourself out. So, yeah, to find that there was an apprenticeship in fusion was quite an interesting uh, thing for me because it fulfilled that, that sort of sciencey physics drive that I had, as well as the more hands-on technological aspect. So it, it really ticked a lot of boxes for me. And of course, an apprenticeship is what you make of it. Uh, you, you can go down so many routes within fusion. There are so many different uh, routes of um, specialist technology that you can go down. And uh, it's, it's what you make of it. It's what you're passionate about is where you'll end up. So you talked about loving particle physics. Uh, why didn't you go down a more sort of university academic route then? Hmm. This is where it gets a little bit more, um, I, I guess, personal. Uh, yeah, I guess the traditional route would go into would be would be to go into university and do physics, and then do a graduate scheme with uh, with a, a neighboring company. Um, but I felt like at seventeen, I just needed a bit more time. <laughs> I needed a bit more time to think about exactly what I wanted to do. Did I want to study physics? Did I want to go down more of a maths route? Did I want to go down more of an engineering route? I, it was such a huge gamble with financially as well. It's, uh, it's just too much to ask for a 17 year old. Um, and as well as this, I was, well, I still am into art. So there was also that drive to go and study arts as well. So I was a bit like, oh, I need more time. I need more time and I need experience. So yeah, doing an apprenticeship did seem to fund my extracurricular activities, made me think about what really happens in the field, what really happens in fusion. And I could prioritize that. Um, so since, since my apprenticeship, I've been doing a degree in maths, uh, which I've really enjoyed. And definitely something I wouldn't consider myself doing when I was 17. The fact that you're based at the UK Atomic Energy Authority doesn't necessarily, and you're doing an apprenticeship, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do a degree in engineering. You chose maths. How did that come about? Well, unfortunately, I think doing a degree is sort of the, the norm within society now, uh, that you do reach limitations in your career. If you don't have that check marked in your CV, then you're not going to be considered for some roles. Um, and that, that's sadly an unfortunate truth and, and quite arguably quite a classist one. Um, because there are so many capable people that have gone through these more technical routes, um, done T-levels and apprenticeships that, that are just as capable as people that have gone to university. 
Um, but the reason why I chose maths instead of engineering is because, well, I actually kind of like the physics and research and development aspect of, um, of engineering. You can apply it. You can apply maths to engineering as well. It's, it's, it's quite a, a broad subject that I find really engaging and complementary to my work. What kind of kid were you? Um, <laughs> I was quite an intense child. <laughs> um, I was very obsessed with things. I was very obsessed with art and portraiture. I loved painting. I'd paint all the time. And my family can attest to that. Uh, and I watched so many documentaries and got involved in so many extracurricular activities that I don't think I was the most social kid, actually, but <laughs> I was intense and I had a lot of drive and passion. So then why did you think, you know, because I can see that you're a real polymath. Um, why did you think engineering would be a good career choice for a polymath? Um I think one of the biggest misconceptions around engineering and STEM is that it, it is this um, distilled form of logic and is so disconnected from the arts and creativity that it's its own force. And I think that's, that's just not true. In fact, some of the best engineers I know are a mixture of creative and eccentric. And to be able to connect different ideas and thoughts together to create something incredible uh, that's why I like engineering so much. You can apply different things into different places and suddenly you can have something as incredible as fusion happen. That only happens with, uh, with people that think outside the box. So when you were at school, I think you were in a bit of a dilemma. Like, do I go down the arts route or do I go down the STEM route? Like, what subjects did you end up taking um, and what was school like for you in terms of achievement? I was, so I was very well known within my arts group. <laughs> uh, I made friends with all the art teachers. I spent a lot of time there. And um, I chose a lot of RC subjects in GCSEs. And in A-levels, I did maths, physics, art, and politics. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed physics. Um, so, yeah. I remember the last day of, of um, art after my 12-hour exam. You do two six-hour stints of just painting. I gave my art teachers a cake that said, I love physics more than art. <laughs> so I was leaving. Oh, bless them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love physics more than I love art. Okay. Yeah. That explains why you ended up choosing engineering. It's not um, true, though. I love them equally. I do love them equally. I was just trying to wind them up. It must be quite difficult kind of being you, even though you seem like totally awesome. But like, it must be quite difficult being that talented in such contrasting things. Do you think engineering lives up to your potential? I don't really know how to answer that question, really. Um, Engineering is never just one route. There's so many different bits that you can explore with this. I mean, I had the opportunity a few years ago to work on an exhibition. So trying to communicate uh, engineering and science ideas in a creative way, which was 
such a great exercise to do and um and i'm really fortunate to see it actually come to light uh, i think it's opening in um in france at the moment so that's a a traveling fusion exhibition uh, so the work for that was great working also in outreach and communications really helps you put into perspective use those creative skills with these scientific ideas to communicate it to just a, a vast audience to kids even and to see their face light up when they understand something that's meant to be really complex is it's just great you talked about going to the large hadron collider at a time when it was like there was a lot of hype about um being able to create a black hole and then suck the earth in and why did you find that interesting because when i read that about you um i just thought god that would absolutely terrify me yeah so i've never visited um cern i'd love to visit large hadron collider but i think it's incredible um but i remember i was in year six or year five, when the Large Hadron Collider was coming online for the first time. And the hype around it was unreal. People, I, I could hear people around me talking about, oh, it's going to cause a black hole, you know. It, the world's just going to move. <laughs> the UK's just going to inch closer to Switzerland. I was like, what? That's crazy. What is this? Um, so I had a look myself and watched a few documentaries with my dad and... Um, I also got involved in something called Imagineering, and we got to watch a documentary together about the Large Hadron Collider. And it turned on, and it was fine. It was <laughs> nothing happened apart from some great science. Um, however, it did fail at one point because there was a soldering error, um, if some people might remember. Some aspect of the Large Hadron Collider had failed. So the... Um, the lead engineer for this Imagineering group for kids said, so we're going to learn how to solder so you don't make the same mistakes. So we all had a go and, and well, I love soldering. <laughs> Actually, you talked about Imagineering, this STEM club that you were at in secondary school, right? Secondary school? It was primary school. I was in year five. Oh, wow. So you were sort of getting your hands dirty at such a young age, but you talked about a retired engineer that sort of ran that club. What was yeah. it about him that sparked your interest in engineering? So Imagineering is, is a fantastic organization that just tries to inspire young people and, and introduce them to things that maybe the, their parents wouldn't normally allow them to do or think was possible for them to do. Um, I mean, I was about 10 soldering things together. I made this tiny, wire bicycle it was really fun um it's really safe but parents would be like what is this you can't use this um but what was so captivating about him was uh he was just so passionate and he was so lovely he he was so i mean he spent his evenings teaching kids about his work and yeah he was just like the sweetest granddad i'd ever met <laughs> um when you uh ended up sort of choosing an apprenticeship in fusion engineering, um, what were the sort of other options available to you? And in the end, why were you like, yeah, I want to get involved in fusion engineering? An apprenticeship in, in fusion engineering is not something that you come by often. And I remember looking through all of these apprenticeships just to see if there was something that would really capture my imagination. I had a look at Sellafield, but uh, I don't know, I didn't really 
liked the work they had going. Whereas here, I thought, well, this is cutting edge science. I can't believe they're letting uh, an apprenticeship scheme happen here. I'd love to just get closer to that. Um, so that's why I chose it. Um, I didn't apply to many, in fact. I didn't even apply to the Sellafield one. Um, I wanted this one and I, I, I fought tooth and nail for it. And I went through two rounds of interviews with, and some exams. Um, it was a pretty hefty process, but I wanted it. And I guess I wanted it so badly that I got it. You talked about doing A-levels in physics, maths, um, art and politics. Like how did you do like grade wise? Because there's often this kind of stigma or um, myth the people that go into apprenticeships aren't particularly academically high achieving, but those A-levels are really difficult. So um, I did my apprenticeship when I was 17, so I didn't actually get to finish my A-levels. Um, instead, within the apprenticeship scheme, I did uh, another set of qualifications, its own A-levels, uh, a higher national certificate, which is the equivalent of a first year at university. Now I did that in electronic engineering, and by that time, I think when I did my apprenticeship and I was really driven, my grades significantly went up and I'm not the most gifted person at maths. I, I really, it really doesn't come to me naturally. I've got to work for it. And, um, and by that time, my grades were pretty good. But when I was in school, I can't say I was very good. <laughs> uh, my grades did not reflect very well. They started off great and then they just dropped. Why do you think that happened? Uh, being a teenager, I think um, your mid-teens, 16, 17, can be a really turbulent time um, and can, can have an effect on your grades more than people realise, I suppose. Um, I did well in art. That didn't really, that really didn't take much thinking, I guess. But um, physics and maths really required you to think <laughs> and study. And um, no, <laughs> I don't really talk about my, my um, sixth form life so much, so yeah. Why? Uh, I guess because, yeah, it was, quite, it was quite a difficult time. Yeah, I, I really relate because I was like a straight A student at GCSE, but then when it came to A-levels, I was so distracted by being that age and discovering boys and different things and learning to drive and getting my head around being independent and stuff that I think my A-levels really suffered as a result of that. So I really sort of relate. How... I, can, I can delve a little bit deeper if, if, if you'd like. So how was sixth form for you? Sixth form uh, was a real change in pace, I think. Uh, I did pretty well in my GCSEs. I, I was quite a, a studious person um, when I was around 15. But something happens when you're around 16, 17, where your whole perspective on life changes. And, you know, you're looking at adults around you and going, do you know what you're doing? Because I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm meant to be in your position soon. So what's going on? And I felt like that this pressure of university, this pressure of academia that sixth form was putting on me, as well as my own desires on, oh, what do I want to be in life? Do I want to do art? Do I want to do physics? And I've got to, I've got to do it now. I've got to, do, I've got to be good 
really good now and it it really breaks people and I really feel for a lot of students now that have that pressure they don't have the options or or someone to tell them that you can take as long as you want you just you know you've got to you'll find your footing eventually you don't have to do it now and you don't have to do it soon and early you don't have to be the best at the youngest age you just got to enjoy it and um yeah when i was studying physics and maths in um in a levels i had a good time and then i had a horrible time but now i love it and that's what matters now a lot of people think that they have to have a brain for maths and a brain for physics but when i hear the sort of like journey you've been on um it's not necessarily been about being good at maths and physics it's been it's been about being open to learning. Would you agree? It's about being passionate. It's about being passionate and chasing exactly what you want to do. I mean, I, I loved fusion. I mean, when I started researching about it, when I started hearing about it in the classroom, I was like, oh, this is incredible. I want to know more. And I sought more. And it made me so inspired. And that passion, that drive is what's going to push you forward rather than feeling like you have to. Um, you seem like such a multi-talented person with many skills and many talents, um, some of which are quite contrasting. Um, and I can see that reflected in your journey because it's been a bit sort of like, you've covered lots of ground. What would you do differently about your career journey, if anything? There's not much I really would have, done differently. I think I chose through an apprenticeship at just the right time. I think it was good that I experienced a little bit of sick form as well. I don't look at anything with uh, any regret, really, because it all has contributed to the way I'm approaching work and life now. Um, I'm glad I didn't go to university when I was 17. Uh, I'm really glad about that. Um, yeah. And you realise that as soon as you start to... Uh, when you get a little bit older. <laughs> um, I, think, I think the only thing that I would have done sooner is started studying with the Open University um, whilst working. I think I should have done that sooner. So tell me about the setup and structure of your apprenticeship. Like what does a typical week or month or year look like for you? So my apprenticeship, um, concluded last year um, after I did a year-long placement with the group that I'm working with now. The group I'm working with now is called um, the Engineering Realizations Group. So what we do is uh, we work on multiple different projects that require all kinds of different skills and people. So it's, it's quite an interdisciplinary role, which I really enjoy and it keeps it extremely engaging. Um, and it's also quite academic in some ways as well. You can read up on a lot of cutting-edge science too. So that's what I do now. And that's what I did in the last year of my apprenticeship. But the first three, so I, I joined the workforce when I was 17. And the first year was in a college working full time um, with UK AEA. And there I did a lot of hand fitting skills. That's things like, <laughs> so I did a lot of filing. I did a lot of metal filing <laughs> and um, learning about precision and more of the hands-on techniques that um, I really enjoyed them and I, I, 
I mean, I, I miss it quite a lot now. That's why I live in the boat, so I can keep doing it. Um, as well as that, I worked with lathes and mills and uh, created little objects, um, metal objects with them. Uh, that was really fun. Uh, we also did a lot of diagnostics as well, taking things apart, putting them together. We had incredible tutors too that had so much experience in the field and you can just, you just sort of, um, yeah, you should have uh, shared their enthusiasm. Uh, the second year you got to spend a few weeks working within a different group and then you come back to college and you do more college work. And in the third year, you're spending more time at work than you are in college. So one of the benefits of doing this apprenticeship is that I got to experience all kinds of different groups within UK AEA. So fusion, as I said before, is not a single route. It's not just about uh, physics. It's not just about plasma modeling. There are so many different components to the machine, from cryogenics to vacuum to electronics to extremely high voltages, as well as the mechanical aspects like welding. Um, now I focus more on the electronic and control side. So I have a lot of experience in uh, creating control systems for cryogenic uh, systems to get helium uh, pumped around the place. Uh, as well as that, I've worked with tritium handling. So working with uh, radioactive hydrogen, that was, that was cool too. So yeah, I've had a lot of uh, different perspectives on fusion and that's the most valuable aspect, I think. Trying to achieve nuclear fusion on planet Earth is really difficult because we're basically trying to mimic what happens on the sun. Um, that's really, really complex. Like, you must be amazed every day going to work. You'd think so. And initially, yes, but it does become part of your job and you're working with it every day. Uh, one of the best parts of my job now is actually operating jets and operating the neutral beam injectors, which is a way of heating the plasma inside. So as well as working uh, within the engineering realizations group on different projects that help fusion, I'm also working on actually making fusion happen. And when I'm in those roles, when I'm actually doing shift work, I'm there early in the morning or late at night, operating the system, it's just incredible because you get to see the plasma come up on the screen and everyone's watching it and all of the physicists are watching it and we're all trying to make a nuclear fusion goal happen, a record break, a record broken and it's just, that's the moment where it becomes reality, that's when it becomes a wonderful sort of uh, experience. Yeah, that's when it becomes more than just a day job, if that makes sense. Can you describe exactly what's happening in basic terms to make fusion happen? Like for the benefit of people that don't know what plasma is, like what's going on in the process? Sure, so the first place that we've got to start is what is plasma? And plasma is a fourth state of matter. So you've got solids, you've got liquids, and you've got gases, and that's when temperature is increasing. Now, when you reach plasma levels, that's when everything inside an atom starts to split off into its own segments. So you've got a sea of electrons, protons, and neutrons just together. And the most fascinating part about plasma is that you can manipulate it with magnets. An example of plasma that you might see every day is fire and also the sun. The sun is just super hot gas that 
that disintegrates in itself. So to replicate the sun and to replicate the process of fusion, we've got to get that plasma, that super hot gas, and we compress it using magnets. So now we've got to talk about what fusion is. Fusion is when two small atoms come together and fuse into a larger molecule. You get two hydrogen atoms and they turn into helium. This happens at around um, 10 million degrees on the sun, but to get it to work on earth with such a small container compared to the sun, we need to get it to around 100 million degrees, so 10 times hotter. Um, and we use magnets at the same time. So it's, it's just an incredible donut of super hot plasma pushed together, trying to replicate the sun. It's, it's incredible. It is so magnificent. Like, and that all happens in a tokamak, right? Yes. So a tokamak is a fancy Russian word for um, metal donuts or magnetic donuts, a tokamak. We use one of those for jets, and we use a different type of tokamak for um, mass, which is our spherical tokamak. Uh, so we're moving forward to making fusion accessible for the grid so we can break even and we can fuel our societies. And how we're going to do that is we're going to create a spherical one. So if I was to sort of like just get be a fly on the wall watching you do your work, what kind of things do you literally do, like in terms of engineering? Like, do you have to put PPE on? Are you at CAD all day? Like, what is a typical kind of cross section of your role as, as an engineer? So my role could be split into two distinct things. I work within um, technical projects and rigs. So I design, uh, rigs and experiments that help fusion process. So for example, right now I'm working on a cryogenic mechanical rig because we need to see how materials can work within temperatures of around four Kelvin. And now the other side of my work is in um, operations and working directly on jet itself. So one of the ways that we put a heat up this plasma to get fusion going is introducing something called a neutral beam. So we have two neutral beam injectors on the joint European Taurus, and I operate and have been neutral beam session leader uh, for those. Um, now a day in the life, what is it like? So operating jet, you have two shifts. You either work in the daytime from around 6 a.m. To, uh, to 2 p.m. or from 2 p.m. till 10 p.m. It can get quite antisocial, but it's a really, fast-paced environment. You have to be on the ball all the time to make sure that you don't get something wrong. <laughs> because if you upset an experiment, that's a few thousand pounds down the drain and that's your fault. So you've got to be honest. And there's a lot of coffee involved in that too. Uh, we, <laughs> we don't wear PPE whilst in the control room because there's nothing really hazardous there. Um, However, we do wear dosimeters, which is just a little radiation detector to see how much you're exposed to. And you're not exposed to very much at all, if any, <laughs> um, because we're so far away from the experiment and it produces so little radiation to us. 
um, if I'm working on the rigs, I might have to go into the tourist hall or I might have to go into a place where it can be quite hazardous and you just wear normal sort of PPE, hard hats, um, steel toe boots, things like that. It, it depends from what area you're going into. Um, what's it like being a woman in your industry? Because it must be male-dominated, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, engineering is quite male-dominated. But it does actually depend on where you work. Engineering's not the same. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not the same across the board in terms of gender equality. Um, for example, in more academic environments, uh, where we're working with physicists and... Um, yeah, when we're working with physicists and plasma modeling, there is actually quite an even gender ratio. Um, and it's, it's been some of the most diverse groups I've been a part of. And I would say that UKAA is pretty good at, um, as, at maintaining at this um, level of connection between women in, um, in STEM as well. But when, <laughs> I'm not gonna beat around the bush here, it is quite difficult. <laughs> It is quite difficult being um, feminine presenting whilst working in STEM. It's difficult being a woman in STEM. Um, I've had some very interesting comments uh, flown at me. <laughs> I think my favorite one, and it was, it was said with, with, uh, with good intent, but it was still like, quite, quite sexist. Um, I was working in process engineering. I figured out this whole logic diagram and process, and I was really happy with it. And my mentor, he turned to me and he said, ah, oh, finally, a woman who understands logic. I was like, that's not really okay, is it? <laughs> you can't really say that, can you? You're working with people from different eras and yeah, it's, it, can, it can be quite difficult. What tips would you have for any women struggling or being challenged by those kinds of issues in STEM, male-dominated STEM? The biggest problems you're probably going to face internally is the feeling of um, imposter syndrome or feeling like you don't know as much or you're being talked down to by people. Sometimes when you ask a question that makes sense to you, you can get a very simplified answer back. That doesn't actually answer your question. And sometimes you can internalize that and go, am I, am I just, do I, do I not understand? Am I, no. There's so much of that. You have to be strong in yourself and what you know. In the past, men have really excelled in that kind of mentality of knowing and knowing and, and they'll put you in your place, but you have to be strong. You have to know that you know exactly what you're talking about. So would you encourage any youngsters, particularly girls, to follow in the same footsteps you've taken to get to where you are today? I would really love to say yes. I'd, I'd, I'd really love to say it's going to be fine and it's going to be um, fulfilling you know, despite being a woman in STEM, despite taking the route that I did, it's, but honestly, there are some really dark moments that really question whether it's worth it. And 
I'm afraid I'm not, I'm not going to be the person to tell you whether it is. If you enjoy your work and if you're willing to put up with it and push through it, then go for it. But I absolutely do not blame you if you experience this and decide, no, this is not what I'm passionate about. And, and it's not worth going through this, this sexist experience, this isolating experience. I really wouldn't blame you. That's, that's my true, honest answer. That's, Wow, that's a really interesting take. And I was actually just going to wind up our conversation, but I feel like that's a giant can of worms that I kind of want to explore in the couple of minutes that we have left. Um, am I right in thinking that this has been the best path, career path for you? You have absolutely no regrets. You're passionate about what you do. You love being part of the nuclear fusion industry but it hasn't been easy and therefore you wouldn't be the one to say come and do what I've done it's amazing what you're saying is I love it for me but it's really important for people to find what they love and pursue what they love is that is that your message absolutely I mean I love I love where I work and I love the science that we do and the personal achievements have felt incredible. But it's, it's hard. You, you, are, you are forced to, despite there being so many rules in place, despite there being so many initiatives to try and help you out, it can't erase so many decades of... <laughs> of sexism and engineering is one of those that is trying to catch up, but it's ha it has to undo a lot. I mean, there are some buildings that don't even have women's toilets in, but they've had to make them into unisex ones now, but you can see how the sexism is ingrained into our own architecture. I think, yeah, being, being a woman in STEM, you're, you're kind of expected to be the pioneer. You're expected to pave the way for other women. And you don't have to do that. You really do not have to. It's, it's a ridiculous weight on our shoulders. And um, just enjoy it. If you enjoy what you're doing, go for it. But you don't have to be the one to push it forward for everyone else. It's actually meeting women like you where I go... the work that I'm doing, the work that you're doing by enjoying your job in engineering is part of the change. And uh, it's not been easy for me. I can definitely vouch for that. It um, doesn't sound like it's been easy for you, but we're doing what we love. And um, so even just by doing what we love, we're becoming, we are role models. And um, we may not, change the way things are but at the end of the day we're still doing what we love and that's what's important um and that's just really that's hearing you say that about yourself has really validated what I'm doing and I really appreciate that because sometimes um I can really question things uh and so yeah uh you're a very complex human be being and I find your complexity really beautiful and the work you're doing is so worthwhile. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your journey. 
um, doing what you're doing. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Shinny. And yeah, I really appreciate you opening up about what it really is like being a woman in STEM as well. Um, no, it's, it's not it's not easy. <laughs> and I'm sorry that you had to experience what you had to. And um, I hope that you're enjoying what you're seeking now. Yeah, I think we're both flying the flag um, for work that is meaningful to us. Um, and really, what other people think of that is irrelevant. It should just be something that fulfills us because I think, you know, it's that old saying of when you put your own oxygen, you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first to help other people. And I think we're doing that. And everybody else's opinions and maybe negativity and toxicity doesn't need to be taken on board. So keep doing what you're doing because uh, you're absolutely fascinating and an amazing human being from this short hour that we've been chatting and um, yeah, I'm excited to see what you do next. Thank you very much for your time and the opportunity, Shinny. Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews and the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery, self-evolution and inclusivity on innovation. Let's all strive to be in the best versions of ourselves and celebrate others being themselves too. As always, be kind and loving, and I wish you all a great week.